Hello, and welcome to tonight's workshop, Thinking About Intellectual Property with IP Colab. This workshop is brought to you by Pathfinder. We are an extracurricular program for incoming first and second year Northeastern students. We provide a safe and inclusive space for students to discuss and pursue their passions. If you haven't already joined Pathfinder, then there will be a link for that on our website, along with links to moderator applications if you're a third, fourth, or fifth year student who wants to participate. Um, and also on our website, you'll find some more information about the program. Today, we'll be speaking with Bruce Jacoby. He's an associate clinical professor at Northeastern. He's also the director of the IP CoLab Legal Clinic at Northeastern University. We'd love to know how intellectual property can help protect a new venture and what advice you would give to new ventures when they're just starting out. In my experience, and I've been a trademark copyright lawyer for about 20 years now. Um, a lot of ventures fail for a really ridiculous reason. They don't protect their intellectual property early enough. Um, th there are several reasons why th this happens. Uh, first of all, a lot of people don't know what intellectual property is. A lot of people don't know what there is to protect. As much as you are concerned and buy insurance for your car or your cell phone or your laptop, and you would be a little bit ticked off if someone stole that, uh, you should be ticked off if someone steals your intellectual property. Intellectual property is what you what you create uh, within the confines of your brain uh, and, and, cre and creative spirit. Copyright is the creative expression of ideas. We generally think of it as artwork and music and films and, and, and plays and architecture, uh, but it also applies to software code uh, because that is written by humans, uh, source code, I should say, specifically. And the benefits of it, uh, of, getting, of getting copyright protection registered, you're, once you hit save on your computer on the short story that you wrote or the poem or the novel, it is copyrighted but there's a benefit in seeking copyright registration. We can help explain that and we can help you get that registration. Trademark is what we do most of, and that is my area of specialty. Trademark is brand recognition. Uh, the, the, the story that I often tell is not the story, but the, the analogy I, I often make is that assuming you love Kellogg's cornflakes uh, and you go to your doctor and your doctor says, all right, you gotta start eating more oat bran. You go to the supermarket, you go to the cereal aisle, and you see all the oat brands. Which are you going to choose? Oh, well, I love Kellogg's Corn Flakes. They've got oat brand. I'll try Kellogg's oat brand. That's the benefit of the goodwill of a trademark. It, 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 that consumers recognize your product with the brand name. It could be a word, a logo. It could be a color. It could be a jingle. Uh, almost anything can act as a trademark. But it's really, really important to address these things early. Uh, you could spend a year, a year and a half brainstorming and putting in your heart and your soul and cash into building up what you a launch, a brand that you want to launch on, oh, I don't know, uh, January 1st, 2022. I think it makes sense to learn a year earlier that, oh, you can't use that brand name. It's been taken as opposed to spending that entire year building up for your launch only to learn then that you're infringing someone else's trademark. Uh, it, it, these are issues that should be addressed at the very earliest stages of ventures, uh, development of startups. 
Uh, it's not all that costly in the long run. Uh, the filing fees are, is all that you pay for if you come through the clinic, but it will assure that you can operate in a free space, free of infringement and, and taking steps to protect what it is that you created. The same is true for patents, although we don't do patents. You don't want someone else to steal your idea for the better mousetrap. If you've got a better mousetrap, you want to have the exclusive right. Well, actually, you don't get the exclusive right to use it. You get the exclusive. You get the right to exclude anyone else from using it. Uh, there's a distinction there, which I can. I'm happy to go into, but not this evening. The, the point being is that these are things that you could take steps to protect. They're usually not costly, and they can be invaluable in the long run. Uh, and that is what we try to convey to not just people in this room, but, but, but to, to, to the community at large and to my clients in the real world. And, and by the way, to, to contact us, you can send an email to ipcolab, all one word, ipcolab, at northeastern.edu. Uh, when I get an inquiry, I pass it along to my TA, who then you know, submits a, you know, sends the, the person a questionnaire, uh, and then we can put you on our waiting list for, uh, for, for legal services which we're trying to work our way through, uh, even as we speak, even as I speak. I had a question, Bruce. So how early is too early to consult with the clinic? Is there a certain stage in a venture or an idea that is too early? Um, or is there really no wrong answer? I, I, it's a good question. It, it, it may well be too early to file a trainer uh, or apply for a patent, it's not too early to talk to us uh, because the, the timeline can be important. Let me give you an example. Uh, we have several clients right now who are uh, Northeastern students, Northeastern ventures. They are not ready to actively launch their uh, services, uh, but they want to protect the trademark because when they are ready to launch, they want to make sure it's, it, 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 they're good to go. The Patent and Trademark Office allows an applicant to file on either an actual use basis. In other words, I am already selling iPhones. I can apply for a, a, a trademark for iPhone uh, uh, based on use. Of course, Apple company might get a little pissed off at me, but I'll deal with that later on. Uh, but let's say I'm developing the iPhone, not the iPhone, let's say I'm developing the B phone. Uh, and this is just a prototype and I'm not ready to launch it yet, but I really want to call it the B-Phone. I would come to the IP collab, I would come to the clinic, I would go to lawyers, and I'd say, I want to know whether the B-Phone is available as a, as, a, as a name of a product or is someone else using it? Well, what we do at the clinic is we do a trademark search. So we determine whether B-Phone is available for not just federal registration, but for use. How early? Should you do that? I could argue that you, if you have a genuine bona fide intent to use the mark in commerce, two to three years is not too early. Uh, the, the, way, the way the system works is that you have up to three years from the date a notice of allowance is issued. I'm gonna get technical here for just a moment. You don't need to know what that means right now. The point being, when an examining attorney at the PTO looks at the application, and says, oh, B-Phone is good to go, and you're not using the mark in commerce yet, you will get what's called a notice of allowance, which essentially reserves that name for you, and you have up to three years to launch the product 
and then your, your, your trademark protection will date back to the day you filed the application. How much better to do it that way as opposed to waiting a year and a half uh, and someone else applies for a B phone application and you're then shut out of the process. So there's no set time about what's too early. Uh, as long as you have the bona fide intent to do it and you're confident that you're going to pursue this with all due diligence and, 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 and stuff like that, uh, you're working on getting funding and you're working on getting uh, uh, partners or developers or employees, whatever, it's not too early to do it at that, at that juncture because you've got a long period of time to prove use in commerce. And of course, if you're using the mark, then absolutely, uh, Jacqueline is a client of the clinics. Uh, Jacqueline came to me, I don't know what, six months ago or so, Jackie, uh, for her blog and uh, uh, for, for, J for JQ Louise, and we filed the application at the end of last quarter, it's working its way through. Uh, the PTO is in a massive shutdown, right? Or slow, slow down right now because of COVID. Uh, Jackie's uh, application should have been examined two months ago, uh, but they're, they're, they're way behind. But regardless, her application date is the priority date. The date she applied will be the effective date of protection once registration is acquired. And she filed on an actual use basis. So we, we, I, I don't see any impediments whatsoever. Jackie should get her registration probably within uh, three or four months. So I'm a fifth year student at Northeastern. I'm the community director for IDEA. And um, I saw um, Tan Biwei and Aisha, both in IDEA, um, uh, posted out this event. And I thought it would be a good opportunity to learn more because like, I've plenty of times have said that the IP Collab is a great resource. You should check out. It's a, it's a, um, you also can have good access to them if you join IDEA and various things, but I don't have a full inside, the full inside scoop and a full understanding of all that goes on there. So. All right. Let me, let me try to give you the, 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 the three minute, five minute pitch here. Um, okay. The clinic was founded about seven years ago, 2014, not by me. I've only been in Northeastern for a little less than two years now at the law school. Uh, and it was founded as a way to advise student-led groups in the Mosaic community and others in the Northeastern entrepreneurial ecosystem about what intellectual property is. Uh, they didn't really provide full legal services. In other words, they would uh, be asked a question and they would do the research and it was supervised by one or more professors. Uh, so that the answers that they were giving out, the students were giving out to other students in the Northeastern system, uh, what was legally accurate. We did, they did not, however, do things like uh, really providing legal counsel to startups or to venturers or to students or faculty or anyone on the outside. Um, when I joined, I sort of flipped it a little bit and I now we now operate as a full-fledged legal clinic the way the other clinics in the law school operate, the immigration clinic and the domestic violence clinic and the uh, civil rights clinic and the prisoner's rights clinic. Uh, we take on clients. I would say about two thirds of our clients currently come from within 
Northeastern, any current uh, Northeastern faculty, staff member, or any student, current or former, is eligible for our services. Uh, as much as I love the work that IDEA does, uh, and, and when we get an inquiry from a student who doesn't even may not even know about Mosaic or IDEA, I always direct them to IDEA because there are great benefits there. Um, but that's not a prerequisite for representing any particular client. Intellectual property, globally speaking, is usually thought of as comprising three distinct uh, legal areas, copyrights, trademarks, and, and patents. Uh, trade secrets is sometimes put into the mix. We handle three of the four. We do not do patent work. Uh, we can give some general conventional wisdom legal overview of what the state of the law is and let let you know someone know for example from generate or origin that there are you know four criteria that you need to get a patent that's not a trade secret we could say that without giving legal advice but for students who are interested or ventures are interested or people from the outside who are interested in legal services pertaining to copyright protection the creative expression of an idea books music film software code uh, trademarks, brand awareness, and source identification. Uh, every business needs it. Uh, trade secrets, drafting non-disclosure agreements to look for funding or for partnership or for employees. We do all of that. Uh, we operate, well, we're switching to the trimesters come summer, but I'm off during the summer. So I will be teaching in the fall and the spring, starting in 21, fall 21. I have a very limited number of students, law students. It, it's now six, it will be going up to eight, but we, we do our best and within the Northeastern community. I appreciate you emphasizing sort of, so the IP Collab can give general advice and education when it comes to intellectual property and, um, and, and- But we, we do more than that though. We do actually yeah. provide the legal services now on the trademark mm -hmm. and copyright end. So for example, if you, Caroline, were starting a business uh, by yourself or with friends or whatever, and you wanted to uh, get trademark protection for the name of your company, uh, if that's what the public is gonna see, or the name of a product or a slogan or a design, a logo that you got through Scout or otherwise, you could come to us we would take you on as a client. We would do a, a search, a screening search to determine whether the mark is eligible for registration, even eligible for use. And provided it is, then we will file the application on your behalf. All our services are pro bono. Uh, the filing fees you would have to pay, but the legal services you would not. That's great. And you had mentioned there are different legal students who are sort of associated with a few different Northeastern orgs? Well, um, Mosaic, IP Collab was technically a member of the Mosaic community because when it was first founded, it was a student-led organization. Uh, that sort of shifted away from that. And Jacqueline and I have discussed this several times. We are still affiliated with Mosaic, but since we're not really, a, we're not a student-led organization, we don't qualify, meet the criteria to be called uh, a, a Mosaic group. Uh, we are affiliated with them. We have a very strong relationship with IDEA. Uh, IDEA has a legal officer every quarter or every term uh, on co-op. Uh, and he or she works with me to sort of cross-reference potential clients. Uh, but in addition to that, 
each of my students has been charged with establishing a relationship, a rapport with one of the six uh, mosaic groups that we feel most closely aligned with, the Scout and E-Club and uh, Origin and Generate and Wise, and I'm forgetting what the sixth one is right now. So each of my students is this week uh, reaching out to their potential, Jacqueline sent us the, the names of the CEOs and COOs, and, each, and the six students are reaching out to them to say, listen, we know we've tried this in the past, and we have, and we've only met with a, been met with a limited degree of success, partly because we're on a quarter system and undergraduates are on the semester basis. So the scheduling is often awry. That's going to change come next fall. And I'm hopeful that if my current students set the stage uh, to, to, to set up this sort of synergistic relationship that I, we already enjoy with IDEA, then come next fall, we will be able to, on a routine basis, do more work for members of Scout, for members of WISE, for members of Origin and Generate, and on and on and on. So um, is there a particular contact then that, so Generate would reach out to versus that Origin would reach out to versus? The, in, in my grand scheme of things, the answer is yes, that the CEO of Origin would have a contact with within my clinic uh, and they would write him or her, email him or her and say, look, we've got a project, we, we, can, can you help us? Uh, I would be in on the loop, I would be copied on all emails. Uh, and if it worked out that we could represent these people, then we would take them on as a client. I appreciate you talking about, so the various things that IP Collab can do, but also you mentioned the different legal clinics that address other issues as well. So I didn't even realize we have so many great resources such as the immigration clinic and- Oh, we have, I think there well. are, I think there are nine clinics. Uh, yeah. Understand though, Caroline, that traditionally uh, law school clinics are, uh, they were designed back in the sixties during the, 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 the height of the 1960s civil rights movement. Uh, when the awareness came to the forefront of, of how communities of color and, and, and people were being underrepresented in a lot of areas. So rather than law firms doing pro bono work, they law clinics started. Uh, they were mostly litigation oriented, followed quickly by restorative justice uh, clinics, and then they, it expanded. Uh, mine is one of two transactional law clinics at the law school, the other one being the community business clinic which Jared Nicholson runs. Uh, and the CBC though, keeps that sort of traditional uh, law school clinic uh, philosophy of trying to reach those directly who cannot represent themselves, who can't afford it, who have been particularly disenfranchised. So Jared will, uh, he, he operates in Chelsea and in Lynn and in other uh, areas where uh, a lot of people do not have access to, to, to legal services. I'm trying to do the same with, with, with my clinic to a certain degree. Um, Northeastern, as you're aware, has a, a, an overarching commitment to social justice and, and, and public interest matters. And, and my feeling when I was hired back in 2019 was that if we limit ourselves to just servicing the Northeastern entrepreneurial ecosystem, we're missing out on that dynamic, which I think is really important. Uh, so in the next, in the last year, it sort of got short-circuited by COVID the way many things did in, in our lives. 
uh, I'm hoping to pick it up again in earnest come in the come fall, we will be taking on more clients within the arts and entertainment fields from uh, Roxbury and Chelsea and Lynn, specifically areas of uh, Boston communities where there are largely communities of color and where they are very active in the arts, but don't necessarily, are not necessarily aware of what they can do to protect their work, uh, let alone can they afford it. So we want to reach out to those communities and, uh, and which, which serves two purposes. It, it meets that element of social justice public interest. It also on a very, not selfish, but on a pedagogical level, it allows my students to do more types of work rather than just trademark branding work, they'll be able to do a fair use analysis for documentary filmmakers, uh, music licensing for a, uh, uh, you know, for, for, for some Berkeley School of Music uh, student who just recorded, a, you know, a DVD. Uh, all of that is what, it, that, that's again, in my sort of grand scheme and I'm taking steps now to, 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 to make that, uh, to make that a reality. That's awesome. Um, that makes sense that people would want to work on a wider variety of topics. I know, um, so IDEA works with um, the, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the name right now. Oh, Northeastern Consulting Group a bit. And um, they are very particular about, okay, so like come with a specific ask and that sort of thing. But it makes sense that there are certain, that there are certain requirements um, that, uh, or actually maybe lack thereof, I guess, that I don't know, like certain interests that you would all have. Well, there, there, there's, there, there's, there's absolutely an overlap and I, uh, and idea has so much more to behind it than just uh, directing the ventures who are in the go stage or even the, or, or the, or the set stage uh, to the clinic for their protection. That's only one small component of what idea does. Mm -hmm. uh, they can offer you know funding opportunities and networking for uh, VCs. I think I'm, I'm, I'm accurate with that. Correct me if I'm wrong, folks. Uh, but but there's a a whole host of things that idea does that we do not do at the clinic. Um, IDEA does have a legal officer, however, unlike the other Mosaic groups, uh, the legal officer is a law student who is working at IDEA on co-op, uh, and they may have gone through the clinic. I've had a couple of legal officers who have been my students and, and several who have not been. Uh, it's not so much that it's, we're competing for a student's attention. We will cross-reference because we think that the other group, the IDEA or uh, my clinic has a lot to offer any particular student or any particular venture. Uh, legal services, sure. If they, if someone comes to us saying we heard about you, the collab, can can I'm a northeastern student or a northeastern alum, can you help me get a trade uh, something or other? I will say, in theory, absolutely. Do you know about idea? No, never heard of it. Well, here's the link. You might want to reach out to them because they have a lot more. Uh, uh, and sometimes we have just simply represented a student who has no interest in going through any of the Mosaic groups. I think IDEA could certainly do a lot more to engage with and kind of serve the broader community. We like having, like getting funding from Northeastern, we largely limit who we serve to alumni, faculty, staff, everyone that you said, you know, your clinic serve serves but you also mentioned beyond that and what you're hoping to do and what other clinics have done and I think that's really important and hopefully in the future idea can find ways to um, 
kind of serve people beyond just our very like our limited community? Well, I can't speak for uh, the people who run IDEA. Uh, I, I, they are a, a function of Northeastern University. Uh, they're the venture accelerator. I can understand the the the, the more limited uh, mandate that the, that 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 they uh, operate under, with the understanding that the people whom they serve, the students, are going to go out into the real world and fulfill that public interest and social justice. Uh, things on their on their own, and I think if, if IDEA supports them, if the other mosaic groups can support them in doing that, then both ends are met. Um, uh, both both you know goals are met, I should say. Uh, my desire to reach out beyond Northeastern has to do more with um, we we already reach outside because on the tra on the trademark side we belong to a, a program within the United States Patent and Trademark Office which mm -hmm. requires us to accept clients from the outside. And my philosophy is that if we do that for trademarks, we should be doing it for other IP areas, especially copyright. Uh, and it, 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 will, it will, again, expand my students' uh, breadth of, of, of types of clients and the types of work that they do, and also fulfill my goal about uh, being a more traditional legal law, law school, law clinic. So I, I'm a designer. So something I really like looking at is like branding and how things change over time. It's like the evolution of brands and things like that. Um, so how does a person or a company or how important is it to look at protecting your IP as things change or as your like brand or company changes over time? It's a great question, uh, Tom Boy. Um, in terms of trademarks only, uh, only the trademark that you apply for once it registers is protected. So what I'm thinking of is if, uh, I'll use Jacqueline again, let's say Jacqueline who gets her registration for Jake Louise, but then decides, you know what, Louise is a little bit of an old fashioned name. I'm gonna call myself JQ Lewis. I like the, 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 the name Louise. I, I'm just picking a, the most ready, ready example that I can think of. Uh, J.Q. Louise per Lewis, with the registration for J.Q. Louise protect the trademark J.Q. Lewis? The answer in the short run is not necessarily. To a certain degree it will, because those two marks, J.Q. Louise, J.Q. Lewis, are similar. So to a certain degree, the J.Q. Louise registration would protect, would stop others from getting a J.Q. Lewis, for example. But if you really are abandoning the use of J.Q. Louise and are rebranding with a new name or a new logo, um, or, or, or a new color scheme, for example, well, color scheme is a different issue, which I can talk about in just a second, then yes, you have to keep up or you should keep up uh, and file additional applications. Um, the, the largest corporations that you can think of with, with incredibly large portfolios of trademarks, uh, McDonald's and Nike and on and on and on and on. They've registered their names, their slogans, their, uh, the swoosh mark for Nike, the golden arches for, for McDonald's, all those things own their own registrations. Um, if uh, one of them came up with another slogan as fast food restaurants often do, they'll be filing for a trademark registration, they'll be filing an application for registration months, months in advance of the launch because they do not want to 
uh, risk someone else coming up and, and, and taking the name when they're about to spend millions of dollars uh, in promotional uh, advertising. Uh, so yes, the, the law is such that just because you have a trademark for your company name, if you're selling products under a brand name, uh, the Nike, I, I can't think of what their products would be. Uh, like Air Jordans. There you go. Um, let's say Air Jordan, let's, let's say Michael Jordan revokes his license with Nike and is no longer going to let Nike use his name for a product. So, okay, so Nike goes to Kobe, goes to, Kobe Bryant is dead, unfortunately, goes to uh, LeBron James and says, we want to do an Air James. Uh, Mr. James, here is, you know, $100 million. Can we use the name? And, and LeBron says, sure, why not? Uh, then you're going to have to, or Nike is going to have to uh, basically give up its Air Jordan uh, trademark uh, and apply for registration of, of, of Air James uh, or Air LeBron, which, whichever way they want to go. Businesses change, trademarks have to change. Um, they don't necessarily have to change. They can also just be expanded on. Uh, uh, Jacqueline gets her registration for her blog under J.K. Louise, but then comes up with a really clever slogan. You know, the, the best travel blog in the world, not necessarily the best slogan, but let's file an application for the best travel blog in the world uh, because she wants consumers to hear that phrase and immediately think of J.K. Louise. Uh, and that's what trademarks do. So I have a question. So. Um... Like for my application, for example, we filed it under just JQ Louise with no, um, you know, no font. It's just the word, like there's the, so how does that work where it's. Um, okay. For word marks or design marks for that matter, the applicant will have the choice of claiming uh, a particular font in, for, in terms of literal element, the word mark, you can claim a particular font, style, size, or color or you can apply uh, using what we call a standard character mark, which, you, which will appear on the registration in all uppercase letters. Uh, but what it signifies, and this is really important, is that you can then use it in any font style, size, or color. So in 2021, in 2021, uh, your website has the mark, I'm trying to think of another client of ours, uh, focal points, Afrocentric Productions. Uh, and our client is using it in a particular font. But when she asked us whether she, when we explained it to her, uh, we, we did so as follows. By using a standard character mark, you gain a great deal of flexibility because you can always change the font. You can always change the color. It's protected irrespective of the font style, size, style, or color. If you claim a particular font size, style, or color, then your protection is technically limited to its use only in that particular font. Now, why would you do that? The easiest answer to that is there could be a conflicting, a potentially conflicting registration already on the books. And uh, one way to distinguish your mark from that is to do it in a particular font, very stylized as opposed to just Times New Roman. Uh, or theirs is in a particular font, so you will do something radically different. Uh, that's one, one reason why you would choose not to do a particular uh, color or, or font style. Same with design. Uh, we have people applying for a, a, a non-literal trademark, uh, a landscape of 
a bridge and a tree with the roots intertwined with the, with, the, with the bridge trestles. It's a group in Chelsea called Greenwoods uh, that we, uh, last year, same, same issue. Their website always showed that trademark in particular colors. But when we explained to its director that by not claiming the color, you can still use it in the colors you're using it, but then in five years time, if you wanna change the colors, you're free to do it. And you've got every bit as much protection as you had in the beginning. I see a question um, in the chat, but I'm not. So um, we have Carolina. Um, so she's uh, she's walking. So um, let's see. Her question is: How do I find out if a name or a logo, for example, is already taken? So I guess what's that discovery process? Maybe you could walk us through that, Bruce. That is the principal. Uh, it's the first assignment I give my students every law school term. Um, they are handed on day one a client's contact information. They will reach out and they will discuss exactly what Carolina is, is asking. We will perform a trademark search. Now, uh, a trademark screening search is of limited value. Uh, there's also something called a comprehensive search, which third party providers uh, will charge about $800 for. Uh, we have a license to use a, a, cert, a screening search platform for no fee. So we do it for no charge whatsoever. It's fairly detailed. We do a pretty good job. Uh, my students will, I will train them in how to do a search on the platform is called Core Search. Uh, there's also a publicly available zero fee for anybody uh, platform called TESS, T-E-S-S, that's on the USPTO.gov website. Carolina, you could go on to TESS at USPTO.gov uh, and if you could parse out how to do the search and there are instructions and there are FAQs and there's even a video, uh, you can do it yourself um, or you could come to the clinic and if we accept you as a client, we will do it for you. And reasonably certain that we'll do it better than you'll do it yourself, but that's because uh, I've been doing this for 20 years and I will be doing my own search after the students do theirs. So you're getting two different minds working on, on your project. We'll be looking though, not just for whether the mark is available for federal registration, we'll also be looking to see whether the mark is even available for use, period because there's something called common law rights in the trademark world. There are common law rights in, in, in a lot of areas, but in the trademark world, that means that if I were selling my B phone uh, and I never applied for federal registration ever, I didn't care, didn't want to spend the money. Uh, I, just, I just started selling it and I started selling it in on January 1st, 2020. Uh, and if tomorrow, March 17th, 2021, someone applies to the US Patent and Trademark Office for a registration of the phone and their use began after my use began. In other words, if I'm the senior user, if I started using my name, the phone, before they did, I can stop them from getting registered. I can oppose the registration. So what we wanna do, because the, the the last thing we want to have happen is we could file an application for, for Carolina's proposed trademark and it could sail through the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and acquire registration only to be met with a cease and desist letter from some company who's using Carolina's mark and saying, hey, we've been using this for 10 years. What, what the heck are you doing? We're not only going to, you know, to oppose registration of your mark, we're going to come after you for trademark infringement because that's common law trademark infringement. It's a real life problem. Uh, for anyone who's starting a business. You have to be aware 
not just of registrability with the PTO, but of whether the mark is even available for use in commerce. We look at both those things for you. This is very interesting. It has me thinking about so, so many times, like, like bigger businesses, you know, will steal like the smaller business, well, steal. I don't know if I can say that, but smaller businesses' ideas or like the ideas of people of color and whatnot. And then, and then, yeah, what action can happen then? I mean, you're up against a huge company. Like just right. and, and, there, and there are there are people and entities out there that we refer to within our within my industry as trademark bullies. Uh, mm. And when you come across them, and I have many many times, the NCAA is notorious. Uh, Monster Energy, the drink, the people who make the Monster drinks, they're 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 they're, they're awful. Um, I was a professor at, at University of Connecticut School of Law several years ago doing pretty much what I do here. Uh, and we had a client with a successful line of beverages in Connecticut with horrible names, but they came up with uh, zombie juice or something like that. Uh, and, and the monster uh, beverage company out in Washington sent them a cease and desist letter, uh, which was totally nonsensical, made no sense at all. They were just pushing their weight around and they have the resources. And I had to say to our client, look, uh, Rob was his name. Look, Rob, you will win. But under our legal system, even if you win, you have to pay your own legal fees. Uh, we can't do this for you. Uh, this is litigation. We don't do litigation, uh, but yeah, you'll win on the merits. If this goes to court, you win on the merits. It's gonna cost it's not worth it. For many people, it's not worth it. Others, it is. You know, um, who's who's another good example of that is Ferrari. They do this all the time to content creators who, um, like on YouTube, there's a you know there's lots of like car YouTubers, um, and there's these guys that. Uh, work, you know, they work on their own cars, they do modifications, you know, they do all kinds of like, you know, crazy stuff for YouTube. And um, there's a guy that I watched the other day, and he's one of these like car modification kind of guys. And he did something to his Ferrari. And it was, you know, the Ferrari logo was all over his videos and his videos get, you know, millions of views. Um, and then like a week later, he announced in his channel that he got a cease and desist letter from Ferrari because of that because they didn't, because they're, I guess they're bullies like this, where they, um, you know, they're so protective of their brand that when people alter um, their products or anything, they go after them like that. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't refer to those types of people in that context as being a trademark bully. Trademark bullies will prevent someone from, 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 from getting a trademark. Uh, what you're talking about more is uh, they're just objecting to use of the name and the logo and sometimes the engine sound because they, Ferrari owns a trademark on their engine sound, believe it or not. Uh, so that if some, if another car was out there uh, that sounded too much like the exhaust of a Ferrari, Ferrari has trademark infringement uh, uh, action. They're not the only ones, Caroline, I see you laughing. Uh, they are not the only ones who do that. That, oh, that, no. that. That's not so much trademark bullying as it is just being very diligent about protecting your IP rights, sometimes to a stupid degree. Uh, and it also, I don't know whether their cease and desist had to do with trademark or, uh, yeah, it probably did, uh, if, if, if they were tweaking the design and, and, and making it look different. Uh, 
could also it could in theory also be a copyright infringement issue as well. Uh, no, I uh, the world that I live in, uh, the world that I work in, is fraught with a lot of, of inequities and, and, and things that shouldn't happen. Uh, arguably, uh, trademark and copyright and patents are not nearly as related as uh, IP attorneys would want you to think they are. Um, they are all guilty of probably patents more than any of them with disenfranchising people of color. Uh, the law school has a professor named Kara Swanson, whom I work with uh, often. She's a wonderful professor and, and a scholar. And she's got something going on at the law school called the NED Project, N-E-D, which is trying to uh, grant, get the USPTO to grant a former slave, this is back in the 1840s, whose name was, wait for it, Ned, who created an invention which was absolutely patentable and was not allowed to even apply for a patent because he was someone's property. Uh, and and, and the, the, the blatant unfairness of that, uh, all that Kara is trying to do and her students are, are trying to say, look, look, look guys to the patent trademark office, we're not asking you for, trillions of dollars in reparations for asking for a simple acknowledgement that what was done in the past was fundamentally wrong so that we can address these things moving forward. Uh, and there, it, it, this is a project has been going on for a year. It's going to go on for many more. Uh, but, but yeah, it was, it was, um, we, we faced these related issues, not as severe in, in, in trademark and copyright uh, in the music industry. Uh, think of Elvis Presley and the huge success that, that he had starting in the 1950s. Well, what he was doing is he was covering the works of black artists uh, who had recorded the same songs, not because they weren't, and were not successful, not be because they weren't talented. Have you ever heard Big Mama Thornton sing, uh, You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog? It's, it's to redefine your appreciation of what that song is about and what, and what it means. And her rendition of it is, is brilliant. But she was black and she was taken advantage of by her producers and they did not give her what she was supposed to get. And then Elvis came along and recorded the song and made millions. Uh, so that those kinds of, of, of social inequities appear in all areas of law, not just IP law, in all areas of law period. Uh, access to courts um, comes up in constitutional law in property, you name it, it comes up in every area of law. Yeah, you hear it all the time in the news. And then the other day I had a very, well, personal example because it happened right in front of my eyes, but I um, I was wearing a sweater and someone else was wearing the same sweater, but I got mine at a thrift shop. So I was like, oh, what brand is this? Where does it come from? And I looked it up and tons of brands have like the same exact sweater. I was just, I was just blown away. I didn't realize what I got into buying that sweater. <laughs> What's one piece of advice or something you think everybody should know about IP? I, I think it's what I articulated earlier. Uh, start early. Start thinking about this early, just as you would when you buy something that's, that's worth money, a car, a house. Uh, you don't wait to get it insured. Uh, you, you, first of all, in some cases, you're required to have insurance, of course, but you're not always required. You don't have to, you don't have to get insurance for jewelry or computers or artwork. 
but it really is in your best interest to do that because if the house burns down or your apartment is robbed or whatever, uh, it would be nice to get the money back that was stolen from you. Uh, that's my principal piece of advice because it applies to intellectual property every bit as much. And your insurance in intellectual property is a, is a patent, a trademark, a copyright registration. That's what your insurance is. Awesome. Well, thank you, Bruce. That was great. That was so interesting. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me all and for, 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 for participating. And uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing from prospective clients coming out from, from every one of you. So uh, IP Colab at Northeastern.edu. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pathfinder meets every week for roundtable discussions. We also meet weekly for workshops just like this one. So check out our Google Calendar and join in next time. Thank you so much and have a great day.